But this morning, we're, we're going to get right into it. And so I'm going to ask Kath to come up, and she's going to share a Bible reading with us from Luke 24. If you've got something, you might want to look that up as well. Otherwise, it will be on the screen, and Kath will read that for us. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Thank you, Kath, and thank you, Matt, and the team. Good morning, everyone. We uh, are mindful that we've got a very full house this morning, so if anyone else happens to come in... Sorry yeah, about that. You're right there, Jeff. <laughs> You've picked a very, uh, very good day to, uh, to mess up. <laughs> we just want to love you and affirm you. <laughs> And so, thank you for the many, many times. <laughs> the many, many times you've served us. Uh, well, welcome everyone, and a very special welcome today to the Albury congregation who is live streaming our service as they gather in Albury. It's great to be able to demonstrate our unity as uh, we share this message across, well, across the border at least, and to others who are joining us online. It's a real joy to be together and the tone that's been set today in the music is just terrific. I've always said it's great to sit towards the front of the church because you hear the voices coming from behind and it just elevates your heart as we worship. So it's great to do that. Easter's a very special occasion. I remember um, many years ago I did some work with an organisation called Open Air Campaigners that became outreach and church ministries and one of the guys and I think he's actually still working with the organization is Merv Jensen some of you might know Merv and Merv was telling a very very funny story that happened to him when they were doing some Easter ministry somewhere in the Wimmera somewhere around Horsham out that way I'm not sure where it was that's not important Uh, Merv, Merv was a guy who just loved the Lord and loved people and loved evangelism and the team loved to play pranks on one another And they happened to be very busy through this time at Easter. I'm not sure exactly which churches they were involved with, that doesn't matter either, but they were billeted to homes 
And after Easter Saturday, I think they'd been doing things on, in schools through the week then, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, uh, Merv said, I just fell into bed on Saturday night anticipating another busy day on Sunday morning with all of the things that go on with Easter on Sunday morning and, and slept the sleep of the dead. But, unbeknownst to Merv, the host, who also had a tendency towards practical jokes, had secretly hidden some very large speakers under Merv's bed. And there was a speaker wire running from the speakers around the, or the corner into another room connected to a tape player. This is dating when this was, right? <laughs> and the, uh, the host had queued up a, a particular hymn. Now, this is where we're going to do a little bit of audience participation, OK? Don't let me down, all right? Because I'm going to pop the hymn, at least the first stanza, up onto the screen here. You know this one? Sing it with me. Low in the grave he lay, Jesus my Saviour, waiting the coming day, Jesus my Lord. You guys have done so well. That was not the part that it, the tape was queued up to. Just imagine the scene. This guy is lying in bed, dead to the world, six o'clock in the morning, first light, and then these words, the next part of the hymn, are, are, are transmitted through these enormous speakers, rattling the windows, shaking the bed. Are you ready? One, two, three, four. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. That's enough probably because... Um, I think I might have started a little bit high and when we get to, he arose, oh, I'm not going to be able to do it. It's bad enough, it's bad enough here, it sounds way worse on the video, so I'm sorry for those in Albury who are having to put up, they can't hear your singing. And you just imagine uh, Merv's reaction, he described it at the time, you know, when you're in that kind of half-sleep state, when, when you are totally in dream world, suddenly to hear and feel this noise up from the grave here, he said, seriously, I thought Jesus had come back. <laughs> and I leapt out of bed and, and the floor under my feet was still cold, which suggested to me there was something quite right with what I was assuming. But he just, you, you just can't make sense of the world in that moment, can you? The resurrection of Jesus, something every Christian anticipates, something we look forward to, something that we focus on specifically today. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about resurrection today on Resurrection Sunday. Because I want to put it to you that today is actually probably the most, or the singularly important day that there is on the Christian calendar. We have other days, of course, we celebrate Christmas Day and that's important because Christmas Day acknowledges the day that Jesus became a man, when God incarnated himself, when God entered into the human experience. That's a significant day. Good Friday is a significant day. And we have emblems of reminding us of Good Friday here, a very significant day. But Resurrection Sunday, that's something else altogether. 
That's the day that we remember when God broke into human history, when God inaugurated the activity of his kingdom in a way that had never happened before. Something wonderful about today. Something supernatural is going on as we remember uh, today what happened then when Jesus was resurrected. Something that outweighs all of those other things, though they are important. The resurrection is at the heart of the hope that we have. We've had this word hope up for this week. The heart of the hope that we have as followers of Jesus. Not that just Jesus was physically raised from the dead, but because his resurrection, his physical resurrection, is the guarantee of the physical resurrection of those who trust Christ as Saviour. It's, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 too. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. And so it's good for us today to talk about the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus, our resurrection, and catch this carefully, our physical resurrection. But this is the great hope that we have when Christ returns, our bodies will be transformed into a glorious resurrection body, energised by nothing less than the Spirit of God in us. And I deliberately use that word transformed because that's the language that the New Testament uses. It's not that we're going to be changed in so much as we're going to be given a whole new body, it's this body that will be changed and transformed. That's the teaching of the Scripture in the same way that it teaches that this world that we're part of will be remade, renewed, redeemed, a new heaven and a new earth. And across the teaching of the New Testament, the clear expectation of every author is that the resurrection of believers, when it comes, will be a physical resurrection in the same way that Jesus' resurrection was a physical resurrection. Now, I know, perhaps for some, this is kind of a little bit um, jarring, uh, because collectively, as Western thinkers, we have been very heavily influenced by a guy who lived many, many years ago, Plato. And Plato, an, an ancient Greek philosopher, posited this notion that has rooted itself in our psyche that uh, physical is bad and spiritual is good. And that was actually part of the heresy that troubled the church in the second century, the Gnostic heresy, this idea that we've got to get out of these bodies and somehow be liberated, liberating our spirit. That is not biblical theology. That's platonic theology, or should I say platonic philosophy. This, uh, this idea has so soaked our collective thinking that we believe, we are inclined to believe, we may believe, we don't necessarily believe this, but some certainly do, that when we die our body will be left here, dust to dust and all that stuff, and our spirit will be taken and is found forever in God's presence. But that is not consistent with what the Jews believed and it's not consistent with what the New Testament teaches because whenever the Jews spoke about resurrection it was very clearly what they had in mind very clearly was physical resurrection always in every context never a spiritual resurrection and it wasn't that they didn't understand things like spirits and ghosts they absolutely did but when they talked about resurrection in any context it was always a physical resurrection Herod was a little bit confused at one stage when he heard about Jesus. He thought it was John the Baptist who'd been resurrected. Now, that was very unusual thinking 
because typical Jewish thinking actually had this view in mind that at the end, when God brought everything together, he would do what's known as a general resurrection. And we find evidence of this in a conversation that Martha had with Jesus at the grave of her brother Lazarus. It's a classic story. Jesus, having somewhat been, not so much delayed, but slow in getting to Lazarus's grave, arrived after he'd been dead for a number of days. And there's this lovely, uh, lovely sight there of Jesus who was so deeply moved by his friend Lazarus's death that Jesus wept. And he arrived at the grave of Lazarus. Um, the family there were concerned that if the grave was opened, it would not be a pleasant experience for anyone. I think the old King James Version says, um, but Lord, he stinketh or something. You know, his body will be decaying. We're talking Middle East, warm kind of place. And Jesus actually said to Mary, your brother will rise again. And Mary said, uh, sorry, Martha said, um, I know he will rise on the resurrection on the last day. So there's Jewish expectation that when God wrapped everything up in history, there would be a resurrection. And on the whole... Jesus conformed to this traditional Jewish teaching. That was until he started talking about his own resurrection. And then his disciples were confused because to that point nobody had individually been resurrected. They had this understanding of a, a resurrection at the end. But Jesus started to talk about, you know, I'll be put to death and three days later rise again. Who's ever had that happen? And then he confused them even more when he started talking about his death because, of course, their idea of Messiah was not that the Messiah would die. That was a total anathema to them. But as the scripture tells us, Jesus was resurrected. Paul says he was the first fruits, the forerunner, the precursor, if you like, of those who will be resurrected. And when we look at the evidence, it was clearly a physical resurrection. When Jesus met his disciples, after his resurrection, he provided what the scripture says, many convincing proofs. There's a number of things that we could look at. The empty grave is one. Where had that body gone? It wasn't there. The grave clothes were there, as if the body was in it, but the body wasn't there. The body of Jesus had been resurrected. The resurrection body of Jesus could handle things. It could touch things. It could move things. In Luke chapter 24, verse 30, Jesus broke bread with uh, Cleopas and his companion after he met them on the road to Emmaus. When Jesus met later with his disciples, he demonstrated that his, physical, that his resurrected body could be touched. He invited them to touch him. Come and feel me, you'll see. This is actually a body made of flesh and blood in a sense. It's a, it's a real body. He showed his disciples that he could eat. There's a, good, there's a good proof, isn't it? Do ghosts eat? That was the question that Jesus was addressing. Because some of them were thinking, you know, what is this? Is this a spirit? Well, no, because this guy who's with us, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, ate some fish and we couldn't see the fish going down and inside him. It was as though he was a real... And he was. It was a real person, a real physical person. As is recorded for us in John chapter 20, verse 27, Thomas was invited to examine Jesus' hands and his side. Come and see the marks of the nails. Come and see where the spear went into my body. Incontrovertible evidence of his crucifixion, the mark of what had happened to him preserved in his resurrection body. So there's some continuity, but also some differences. There's some very... 
unusual things that Jesus' body could do. It was not held in place. It could move across place quite easily. It seemed to be able to go through doors. Wouldn't that be handy? And this is where the authors of the New Testament pick up the idea that our resurrection bodies will be like that of the resurrected Jesus. There's a number of passages that speak of this. Let me just throw a few to you. Uh, this one from uh, 1 John 3, 2. Dear friends, John says, Now we are children of God, and what will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. We too will become like Jesus. Paul picked this idea up too in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. He said, Our citizenship is in heaven, in other words, in the hand of God or as part of God's kingdom, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. We too will have a body like the body of Jesus subsequent to his resurrection. Paul writing to Romans, a very significant passage. Let's see if we can get that next slide up there. Oliver, you might have to help me out here. Here we go. Uh, said these words, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Don't uh, forget that little uh, phrase, for in this hope we are saved. That's very important. But hope that is seen is no hope at all, for who hopes for what they already have? We'll come back to that phrase, for in this hope we are saved, because the physical resurrection of our bodies is not just icing on the cake. It's actually critical to our salvation. And I'll explain why in just a couple of moments. And then, of course, we turn to the really significant passages that we have in 1 Corinthians, where Paul was writing to a church much confused and troubled by this whole question. And Paul says these words, So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonour. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. You'll notice the words that Paul uses there. It is sown. It is raised. It's the same body. Paul is very clear that not only is the physical body resurrected, but there's going to be significant continuity between this body and our resurrection body. Now, some of you are probably already thinking uh, something that uh, I was sharing with our staff this week. I was in a, a meeting where this topic was being talked about, and when the idea of continuity between our uh, current bodies and our resurrection body was put out there, there was a young lady in the group who put her head down on the desk and said, oh, without the feedback, I don't want this body for eternity. <laughs> now, with all grace and humility, I have to say there's absolutely nothing wrong with the body that she had. However, her question's a very valid one, isn't it? 
It's a very valid one if we, if we are a person who's struggling perhaps with some kind of physical limitation, something we were born with, something we inherited, some sort of injury that we carry, some sort of disability, whatever it might be. Is that going to be something we have to live with? And then there are the questions about if there, are con if there is continuity between this body and the body that I have in the resurrection, how old will I be? That's an interesting question, isn't it? Is heaven going to... This is a question children might ask. Uh, uh, is heaven going to be full of old people? <laughs> no. People who die in their 70s... Well, not 70s, not old anymore, is it? I see a lot of people saying no. <laughs> 80s, not old. And neither is 90 either, if you're fitting well. Uh, is heaven going to be full of, of aged people? What age will our bodies be in heaven? If there's continuity between this body and the body that we live with, what will it be like? Those are the kind of questions that do trouble us a little bit and the Bible rather unfortunately I think actually probably fortunately doesn't tell us it does tell us that there will be some continuity as there was with the resurrected body of Jesus but there was there was absolutely also some discontinuity there's some very different things some of the continuity the body could be touched it could eat it could be recognized it, re it seems reasonable for me to suggest uh, that uh, that Gender will be maintained in some form or other because when people saw Jesus, they still saw a man. It seems reasonable to suggest if we look at Revelation chapter 7 verses 9 to 10 and if we see that um, writing of John to be a vision of the resurrected church, uh, then it seems reasonable to suggest that some elements of our ethnicity will still be recognisable in our resurrected body because as John looked at this great multitude these are the words he said i see a great multitude that no one could count from every nation every tribe every people every language standing before the throne and before the lamb my question is how would john have known every tribe every nation every language if it wasn't for the fact he could kind of tell that there's some people from the subcontinent there's some europeans there's some africans there's some south americans it's a hypothesis but we don't know for sure while some of the physical characteristics of our current bodies will be maintained, we ought to hasten to add that the limitations or the debilitations characteristic of our current bodies will not be carried into our resurrection body. Jesus' body had some continuity, but there was an otherness about it. And Paul also addressed this in his letter to the church in Corinth. He said, to the church that was wrestling with this notion of resurrection and wanted to know what will our resurrection bodies be like, uh, Paul used language which is sometimes a little confusing but might make more sense if we read it through this lens of the resurrection of our physical body. He says, uh, we have a natural body that will be raised a spiritual body. Now, don't, don't do the platonic thing and think, okay, um, physical, spiritual separation. Paul's not actually talking about that. He's talking about something else. In the original language, when he talks about a natural body and a spiritual body, he's not talking about two different kinds. He's talking about a different type of energy. Let me just give you an example uh, from um, a um, children's movie that might help you. Those of you who, who have kids will be familiar with the movie Over the Hedge, right? It's a, it's a wonderful little story that... Um, affirms the value of family and belonging and all those kind of good things. There's a character in this movie called Hammy who's a squirrel and, and the best way to describe Hammy is that he is hyperactive. 
He's always bouncing around and, and in a sense captures that sense of movement that there is in squirrels. You've ever, um, you watch some of the stuff on YouTube with people with squirrels, typically they're trying to catch them or catapult them or something. Um, you know, squirrels kind of, they move with very jerky movements. You've seen some of these, right? I see, I see some nods, yes. I, we've watched the same stuff, clearly. <laughs> But these squirrels kind of move, and this is how that character moves. Now, there's a point in the movie where the characters need to achieve a, 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 what seems to be an unattainable goal of avoiding laser sensors and all sorts of stuff. So what they do is take this squirrel who's already a little bit twitchy and jumpy, and they give him one of those energy drinks. <laughs> Down it goes. I dare not ask how many of you have had one of those before. I'm wondering just how well it would go if I had one before I was preaching some days. <laughs> it would be a disaster. All sorts of crazy things would come out. And what happens in this, in this situation is this guy who's already you know, fairly animated, he just goes to the next level. And so he's able to do stuff and achieve stuff that no normal kind of person would be able to do, or no normal squirrel would be able to do. And that's the point. The difference between... This body that we live in, in our resurrection body, is not a difference in body. It's a different kind of animation. It's a different life force. It's a different energy that God gives us. Because this body is, uh, is a body that is limited. Um, it's powerless against injury and decay and death. But the resurrection body, that's something different altogether. It's animated by God's spirit. It's got God's breath of life in it, the energising power of God's new creation. Same body, but a totally different form of energy and capacity. And so we shouldn't worry that in this life, you know, I might walk with a limp or have a crooked wrist or whatever it might be. Those things are not going to be issues. It'll be a totally different kind of life in us in this new physical body that we will have. So back to the question, why does Paul say that the physical resurrection of our bodies is the hope in which we are saved? This, this is absolutely the thing I want you to take away from this message today. Why is our hope so firmly centred on the resurrection of our body? Quite simply, because the physical resurrection of our body is the incontrovertible evidence of God's victory over death. Just think about that for a moment. If Jesus had not been raised physically, then death has actually won. If Jesus was just raised spiritually, the body's still dead. Death is still alive and at work. And if our bodies are not raised, then likewise death still wins. Our bodies die forever. And if there is no resurrection of the body, then death is not defeated, it's just redefined conveniently. If the promise of the future is simply that our immortal souls will leave behind our mortal bodies, then death still rules. And if death still rules, then the death of Jesus was pointless. My preaching is pointless and so is our faith. And those are not my words, they're the words of Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14. And Paul goes on to say a couple of verses later, and critically so, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you, are I, you and I are lost in sin. But here's the great hope that we have. This is the hope of Easter expressed by Paul to those who are living and wondering 
what the resurrection would mean for those who might still be alive when Jesus Christ returned. Uh, we find a number of verses in Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 to 58. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, this new life force, this new energy, the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. And these great words uh, that Paul pens for us. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then, and I'll add this because this is important too, something to preach on another day. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour for the Lord is not in vain. Paul's actually starting to build a theology here of how life in this body is important. If this body is going to be resurrected, what we do now in this body is significant. What we do in our world is significant. How we treat one another is significant. How we look after creation is significant. It's not for us as Christians to say, oh, well, I'm just going to leave all this behind. You know, one day the earth will dissolve like snow. There's a song about that which is unbiblical. And we can just forget about all that. It's actually important to think about that. And Paul is actually flagging this in that verse stand firm don't let anything move you give yourself to the work because there's work to be done as i say that's a sermon for another day there's a story i want to finish with a very brief story before we come to communion this morning um, and i'm not sure whether it's true or not but it's um, it resonates with me in terms of the possibility that it is it's a story of an african muslim who became a christian and his friends asked him you know why why have you become a christian and this guy said, and, and mindful that in many Muslim contexts, Jesus appears in dreams. He said, I had a dream. I had a dream that I was walking down a road and I came to a fork in the road. On this side of the road, there was a man who was living. On this side of the road, there was a man who was dead. And so I decided to go this way and follow the man who was living. And there's the hope of Easter, isn't it? That today, we follow the man who is living. Let's pray together. God, we are so glad today to be able to proclaim your resurrection, your physical resurrection, and in that have the victory over death. The enemy that entered the world with sin. The enemy that had been uh, reigning and ruling in the world until that moment when you, Jesus, was, ra was raised to life by the power of God. And we thank you that in the promise of your resurrection, there too is the promise of our resurrection, that one day we too will be physically resurrected and so too death will be defeated in us. And we thank you today, Lord, that as you have been resurrected, so starts a new era in the life of your work in the world. So starts a new era of activity, the activity of God in this world now that is gradually being transformed uh, to your your will and your willingness. Lord, we thank you. We're mindful that we live in times where the enemy, when those who stand against you are, are rallying, we are, we are very conscious that even in our day, 
uh, Satan, uh, the evil in our world just seems to be reigning and ruling, but we're mindful, we're, we're aware, Lord, this is, it's kind of like the last gasp. It's the last opportunity because you, Lord Jesus, are coming back and when you come back, you will make all things submit to you. Lord, we thank you today that we follow the man who is alive. Nothing through history remotely like this has happened. The one who was saviour triumphed over death and was raised back to life. We celebrate this today. And as today, Lord, we sing this triumphant cry of your victory over death, help us tomorrow as well when our family have gone home, when the chocolate is gone, when the reality of work looms large, when the challenges and struggles that we face and have temporarily parked regain traction in our consciousness. For the celebration of your resurrection over death is a celebration of life that should continue well beyond the services we've participated at through this Easter season beyond the emerging signs of autumn, the change of season, beyond the rhythms of life that we depend on. For your resurrection, Lord, is the promise of our resurrection, a daily celebration of victory over fear, of victory over death, the greatest and most powerful of enemies. And so, God, we pray today that you will help us to live as a community of the redeemed, of people liberated from the fear of death and made alive by the life of Christ in us. Lord, help us to be open to the infilling of your spirits as a testimony of your victory and in so being filled, live as people in full possession of all of the promises of your inheritance given to us. Help us today, we pray, to see the world through the eyes of the redeemed. Lord God, your name is holy, your kingdom work is uh, making its way in our world. The last great act in the drama of life that you have written has commenced. We live in that place. May your will be done on earth as it is in your presence, for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory. Amen. This morning I'm going to invite you to share communion with us. It may, in some senses, seem a little strange to do that on Easter Sunday. Typically it perhaps would fit better with Good Friday when we remember the death of Jesus. Communion, of course, is based on the model given to us by Jesus who celebrated this meal with his disciples on the night before he was betrayed. Jesus took a very familiar Jewish festival, the Passover meal, and injected new meaning into that meal. It was, of course, a meal to celebrate the night on which the angel of death passed over the homes that were protected by the blood of the Lamb. But it's also a celebration of the freedom that the people had as they were released from their captivity in Egypt. Passover was a celebration and celebrated the freedom that God won for them. And as we've reflected, no, let me rephrase that, as I have reflected on Easter this year, I've been challenged to rethink some of my personal feelings around Easter. To be frankly honest with you, Easter's not an easy time when you're a pastor. There's an expectation that there's all sorts of um, things into the timetable and it's tricky because unlike Christmas, Easter moves around. We know when Christmas is coming, don't we? 25th of December. When's Easter next year? Who knows? 
it's tied rather bizarrely to something to do with the lunar calendar. So it might be March, it might be April, it could be July. Who, no, it won't be July. <laughs> but it, it, this is what happens. Uh, we, we don't sort of think about anchoring ourselves in terms of our liturgical calendar, in terms of our church calendar with Easter. Fortunately, very early this year, Matt said to me, uh, have you given any thought to Easter? This is back in probably January. And I said, well, as a matter of fact, I have. Uh, because Easter can tend to just kind of creep up on you uh, and it's hard if you haven't been proactive. It's hard to bring stuff together. And then, um, and then this is brutally honest, there are times where we put so much energy into planning activities and services across Easter and I'll be chatting to someone, you know, a dear friend in the congregation and I'll be saying, yeah, we're going to do this and that. And I thought, oh, that'll be nice, I'll be out camping. <laughs> and there's... There's a degree of disappointment, or should I perhaps even be more honest and say jealousy, perhaps? <laughs> more broadly, as a church, we tend not to engage in any meaningful way in the Lenten period, that period leading up to Easter. And so Easter arrives, and it's done and dusted, and tomorrow, Easter Monday, we can all sigh a big sigh of relief, have a day off, and think about the rest of the year, start planning Christmas, perhaps. But as I've thought about it, you know what we ought to be doing? We ought to be having a party today. And not just today, we ought to make it the party of the year. We do that pretty well at Christmas time. Who doesn't love a party at Christmas time? But if what I've said about Easter is true, that this is, this is a celebration of the moment when God stepped into history in a manner that he'd never done before, anticipated, yes, but the realisation of God's inaugurated kingdom, God breaking into the world, promising us this new life, we ought to have a party. This physical resurrection of Jesus is the definitive first step in God renewing all of his creation. That's worth celebrating. And so when Matt was chatting... Where's Matt gone? I can't see him anymore. Oh, OK. <laughs> You've got to watch your back. <laughs> when Matt was chatting about, you know, the chocolate, and I thought, that's it, you know, we ought to be getting up and having a... We ought to be bacon and eggs for breakfast or do something exciting. And if we're going to have candles in church, let's not just have a few. Let's have a bonfire in church. Now, I'm not suggesting we burn the place down. But goodness me, folks, isn't it worth celebrating what Jesus has done? Isn't it worth looking at that as being the great act in history? The hope that we have. If we need any motivation to live well, to join God in his mission to the world, to seek justice and righteousness, to go out and live, as Paul said, in our world, then today provides that motivation. If ever we were to cry out, hallelujah, today's the day, right? Yes. Get over that introversion and shyness. Christ is risen, hallelujah. And so we come today to share this bread and this cup in, in an appropriate, with appropriate respect and solemnity, but also today with celebration, because even Jesus said, you do this and proclaim my name until I come again. And boy, oh boy, when he comes again, isn't that going to be something? So our invitation this morning, friends, is to come and join us at the table as we share these communion elements the bread and the wine, we know what they represent, we know the meaning, the body of Christ given for us, the blood of Christ shed for us. And today we do it with much celebration 
as we celebrate the risen Christ, the physically raised Christ, the promise of our resurrection too. In our church, the tradition for us, if we could call it a tradition, is to invite anyone who loves the Lord Jesus Christ to participate in this celebration. The way we're going to do it this morning is uh, fairly straightforward. I'll ask you to stand in a few moments. These guys are going to play something. I'm getting the nods from behind. That's good. They've got my back. Um, just stand where you are. Um, in some kind of order, move to the centre aisle. So the two front blocks here, there are tables either side. Just make your way through and then back to your seats. The two back blocks, there are tables positioned halfway down the church. So you guys don't have to walk all the way down and all the way back. Uh, take the bread and eat it. Take the cup and hold on to it that we might drink it together as a sign of our unity and uh, we celebrate the risen Christ. Let's take a moment to pray again. Lord, we do celebrate this day and uh, we're just so grateful to you that we can. Lord, we've been given the eyes of faith to see what you are at work doing in our world. We are so mindful that our world is full of strife and turmoil, people who are in great pain, experiencing deep grief at the moment. And we pray that your love and your life may enter into those circumstances, that the reality of your resurrection today will be so meaningful that they will be able to overcome that grief and loss and sense of despair and that they might hold on to a fresh hope, a hope that will sustain, a hope that will give joy, a hope that will give life. And for us too, Lord, let us not treat this day as an ordinary day, nor the life that you've given us as ordinary life, for we live as resurrected, we live as people who live in this, uh, this time of resurrection, this time when your life is at work. We long for that time when you will raise us up, Lord. We thank you that you are creating a new heaven and earth as the vision that you gave John there in Revelation, this new, new Jerusalem, this new earth that will, will be made, this remaking of this earth that you've given to us. And so help us, Father, to be diligent in the work that you've called us to do, to be faithful to your word, to your scriptures, to the leading of your spirit, and to know your love afresh today. And so as we take these elements, we do so with grateful hearts, proclaiming again Jesus Christ as Lord, and pray this in his name. Amen.